You are listening to the Living Way Church podcast. For more information about Living Way Church, go to livingwaychurch.cc. Today we are going to come to the uh, second to last week on the First Corinthians series. The next week we we have to wrap it up as we're heading into uh, camp and the mission trip. So we're going to cover a lot of ground in the next uh, two weeks. Today we're going to wrap up the rest of chapter. 15, and next week we're going to finish 1 Corinthians with chapter 16. It's actually one of the longest letters in the New Testament. It's the second longest letter in the New Testament after Romans. So uh, if you didn't miss one, great. And if you did miss a couple, not too bad. You can listen to them online. And if you missed them all, well, we got them all online. So you can listen to them all or go over the notes. We have been in this letter to the Corinthians written by the Apostle Paul. It was a church that he had planted Five years prior to this letter, he was getting news about their weird and wacky response to their new faith in Christ in a city that was a lot like our modern day Vegas. It was a wild city and it was a challenge for them to grow up. And so Paul was correcting their reckless life and their their wackiness and their weirdness, correcting their craziness in the city of Corinth via a letter. He was actually helping to start and plant the church in Ephesus at the time. So he writes this letter. This is one of four letters that he wrote. We only have two of them that exist today. So what we have gone through so far is, is Paul addressing a variety of areas in their life. He's, he's talked about their private life, their public life, their church life, and now he's about to talk about their future life. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he spends the entire chapter talking about the resurrection. And we actually covered the first part of chapter 15 at Easter time. But I do want to go over three things today. Christ's resurrection, Christ's return, and our in Christ resurrection. Three things we're going to cover today that Paul talks about. This is where he starts off in this chapter, in verse 1 of chapter 15. It says, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received and which you stand, by which you were also saved. This is the gospel. He's about to give the saving gospel. The gospel that saves, the news that saves. Gospel means good news, life-changing, life-altering, never be the same news. He says, this is the good news which I preach, which is the word gospel. He says, by which you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preach to you. I mean, this is a continual faith, unless you believed in vain. For I believed to you, uh, for I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received. And then he gives the simple gospel. Here's the gospel, is this. Christ died for our sins according to scriptures. That's according to the Old Testament. As according to the over 300 plus prophecies that foretell of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. He says, according to those prophecies, Christ died for our sins. Now, first of all, he says Christ, which means God's promised anointed one, God in the flesh, Christ, part of the gospel, died for our sins. We needed a savior. Our sins separate us from the love of God. Christ died in place, took the wrath of God, justice of God for our sins, according to the uh, scriptures. It was promised long ago. It was fulfilled. And that he was buried. That means he truly was dead. He didn't swoon. He didn't pass out. He didn't, you know, kind of have an episode and faint. He was dead and they buried him and he rose again. The third, uh, he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Now this is a reference to the gospels that were written by the apostles. See, the first one is the scriptures according to the prophecies of Christ's life and death, and the scriptures, the New Testament, the gospels record the resurrection of Christ. Then he says, according to the scriptures, this is powerful. So this is the gospel in a nutshell. He says that the, the witness of Christ is a fact. And so he goes on, and again, we covered this at Easter time. He goes on to give eyewitness names and the facts of Jesus' resurrection. And he goes on to say that the gospel hinges on this fact, the resurrection. Without the resurrection, all that we do is to be pitied and foolish. So, so far in Corinthians, he says, your private life is out of whack. 
He says your public life is out of whack. He says your church life is out of whack. And now he says your perspective on your, your future life after this world is out of whack. So he, again, this letter is all corrective. So he's about to correct some craziness when it comes to their thoughts about life and death. So why was Paul writing this section? Because they were teaching that when you die, it's lights out. They were teaching that when you die, that this body that you have is no longer useful and useless. The Greeks believed uh, that there was potentially life after death, but they did not believe that there was life for this body, that this body was evil and this body was to be destroyed and that it's better to be spiritual as a ghost or a being rather than to have a physical body. And Paul says, listen, that's not God's plan and that's not what Jesus died for. Uh, that's not why he rose again. Um, so he begins to correct them. And we're gonna jump down to chapter, uh, chapter 15 still, but verse 20, kind of to where we left off after Easter. It says, but Christ has indeed, fact, been raised from the dead. The first fruits, that means he's the first example of what is to come. Of those who had fallen asleep, that means dead. So his resurrection was the preview of all those who died in Christ. He says, for since death came through a man, Adam, the resurrection of the dead came through a man. That's Jesus. For as in Adam all died, so in Christ all will be made alive. I want you to write this down. Christ's resurrection guarantees that this is not the end. This is great news. This is great news. The resurrection of Christ means that when we die, there's still more to come. This is just a piece, a part, a chapter. So if you have someone that you love, if you're nearing that age, maybe you're, I'm turned 50 this week, so I'm like, man, I'm well past half age, half my age, because uh, the typical person lives to be about 84, so um, I was uh, middle-aged at 42, so I, I'm, I'm well on my way, and, and, but I've got good news, because this isn't the end. This isn't the end for me. It's not the end for you. Good news. The resurrection guarantees it. If you're born again, you will be resurrected into eternal life, guaranteed. And how do we know? Because Jesus is alive. Because he conquered the grave, it's a guarantee that we will live again. This is not the end. So Paul begins to break down Christ's return, Christ's resurrection, and then our in Christ's resurrection. So after he spends the first 20 some chapters talking about the resurrection, again, we did this at Easter, he talks about the return of Jesus. Let's take a look at that. Verse 22, for as in Adam all die. So in Christ, all in Christ will be made alive. But each in turn, there's an order. Christ, the first fruits, that means Jesus was the first person to have this new resurrection then when he comes, those who belong to him. So Christ's resurrection, Christ's return, then our resurrection, when he returns his family, those of you who are his kids will be resurrected. Then the end will come. After Christ returns, the world as we know it will come to an end. When he hands over the kingdom of God to the Father, now this is a forever king. He's not, he's not handing over his king, his throne to the father. He is a forever king, the Bible says, whose rule has no end. What he's doing, he's still forever reigning over all, but he's presenting the kingdom to the father as a completed mission of our salvation to our resurrection. He's presenting it, mission accomplished, as he sits on the throne forever as a forever reigning king. He says, after, this is all happens, after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. That's the final judgment of Satan, of fallen angels, and unbelievers. Now, Jesus put an end to all the evil in this life and world. I want you to take a look at this chart for a second, because I want you to know something. A lot of people think that Jesus has just come for this life, and, but he's come for eternity, and there's a role that he plays in our eternity. His first advent, or his first arrival, was to save us spiritually. His second advent, his second arrival, will be to save us physically. Once you are born again, you still get sick. 
Once you are born again, we all will die and, and, and leave this earth, right? So he came to save us spiritually, reconciling us relationship-wise, spiritually to the Father. But he's coming back again to save us physically. And that's what he's about to talk about. The resurrection is part of that. You see, a lot of us, we, we step out in faith and we believe in the cross and we believe in the resurrection. And that's a pretty big step of faith. But listen, the Bible challenges us, Jesus calls us, and Paul is writing here to not just believe in the death and resurrection of Jesus, but to believe in your resurrection and the return of Jesus also. Because as sure as he came once, he's coming again. So he's challenging him. He's, listen, Corinthians. He says, listen, life isn't just this world. It doesn't end when this life is over. There is a, a forever. And you've been designed to live forever and to have a body forever. This is what's cool and weird and strange for a lot of Christians to want to accept and believe. That yes, Jesus is coming back. He's coming back. Turn to somebody and say, Jesus is coming back. He is. As sure as he came the first time. And when he comes, he's coming back in this order. He's coming back in this order. You can take a picture of it, take a look at it later. This is basically the overview of what Paul just says. And Thessalonians talks about it, Revelations a little bit. This Life is not the end. The eternal kingdom of God is for real. Now, there are different views on how that timeline of the second advent will happen. There's different opinions on, on how that's going to look. You know, there's been books about it, movies about it, charts about it, different speakers about it. But we have unity in this. It's okay to have different views and to have a biblical view as to why you feel that way. But here's what it comes down to. Regardless of what your position is on how it's going to look, Jesus is coming back to get his own kids. And we stand in unity in that. He's coming back. He's coming back. Turn to somebody again and say, he's coming back. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 25, he goes on to say, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. Now that's kind of a, a, a confusing little verse. He's actually quoting... Psalm 110, verse 1, which is a psalm about the Messiah, saying that the Messiah will reign and present the kingdom to the Father. Now, this is not meaning that Christ's reign will end, because remember, he's a reigning forever king. His, he's a king whose throne will never end. That's the title of the Messiah. This is meaning that Christ is reigning even now. He's not coming back to be king. Listen, he's king now. He is right now the King of Kings. Jesus is right now the Lord of Lords. He has everything in his power and control. He is reigning even now, lest we completely self-destruct and kill ourselves and destroy ourselves through our sin and depravity. It is Jesus in his reign over this life that is keeping us from killing ourselves. He's, he's waiting for as many as possible to bow the knee to him. He is not hands off. So this verse is saying that he is reigning even now until the mission is complete even. He says, Jesus rose from the dead and is right now sitting on the throne of heaven as the king. And a day will come will he, when he will have total visible conquest. Listen, he's already won. He's, the Satan has already been defeated. Satan has no power and authority over God, God's plan, God's mission, and God's people. He is powerless. He only has the power that God allows him. He only has the influence that God allows him. Jesus is in control. Jesus is in charge. He is reigning even now. And that's good news. We don't have to be afraid of him. We don't have to, if you're, a, if you're not a believer, you might want to be concerned because uh, greater is he that's in me as a Christian than he that is in the world. But apart, apart from Christ, greater is, is he that's in the world than he that's in you apart from Christ. But there will come a day when the world will see that he is king. Okay? And he will have total visible conquest. He is one. But some of you have not surrendered to his lordship or his authority as king yet. That doesn't mean he's not king. It just means you haven't recognized his kingship. 
Okay? So that's what Paul's saying here. Here's how I want you to write this down. Christ's resurrection guarantees final victory. See, we see the world, we see the chaos, we see the evil, we see the hatred. God still reigns. The empty tomb guarantees the end will come. As sure as that grave is empty, so will the world's trials and chaos and problems come to an end. Victory has already been sealed as sure as the grave seal has been broken. You do not have to worry. He's already won. Christ's resurrection guarantees full conquest over the enemy of death and over all spiritual enemies. 1 Corinthians, he goes on to say, verse 26, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Death is an enemy. At his return, death will be dead. It's like in your face, death. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But I like how he describes death as an enemy. Because I don't know any one of us. It's probably the, the biggest, most painful, scariest, uh, most frustrating thing of life is death and the loss of someone that you love and maybe your death. We'll talk about that in a minute. He goes on to say, the last thing will be destroyed is death. Verse 27, for he, the father, has put everything under his feet, Jesus. Now, when it says that everything has been put under him, it's clear that this does not include the father, God himself, who put everything under Jesus Christ, the son. When he has done this, then the son himself will be subject to him who put everything under him so that God may be all in all. This is not saying that Jesus is not God. This is saying that Jesus, the Son, is not God the Father. They are the same in person, but they are different in role. This points to an eternal submission in his role. They are equal in person, but submitted in purpose. Guys, listen. Jesus is God of all eternity in the flesh. Jesus is forever at this moment now in a glorified body sitting on the throne of heaven as king forever. Listen, when we go to heaven, we're not going to see a ghost named Jesus. We're going to see Jesus in a body, in the flesh, resurrected, glorified. We will see Jesus we will see him. We'll have the opportunity to touch him because he is not a ghost. He's not a spirit. He's not invisible. He is the visible of the invisible. The father, the Bible says, is God, eternal, omnipresent, invisible. Jesus is the invisible made visible. And as a result as being visible, he is therefore in submission to the invisible. This is what that means. They are equal in person, but they are different in their purpose or roles. Jesus in his visibility is in submission to the invisible father in function so that we can see God. How? Jesus. Mm. Isn't that awesome? The invisible became visible and then check this out. The visible Jesus sent the invisible Holy Spirit to indwell his people so that we might know the invisible. Mm, this is getting good, y'all. So Jesus is on the throne now, reigning, visibly reigning. He goes on to say, now, if there is no resurrection, that means if this life is over and you're and you just a ghost for the rest of your life, what do those who are baptized for the dead, if, if the dead are not raised at all now, why are people baptized for the dead? Now, this is not condoning baptism. I want you to, uh, for the dead. This is, Mormons actually use this verse to baptize people for the dead. You know, they look up their genealogy. They find out people of their family who are maybe not Mormons. And then they baptize themselves in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit for a person of history, for a genealogy. Notice he says, those who do not, we do. He is not condoning this. In fact, he is shown through all of his other letters and Jesus himself in Luke uh, 16 said that this is not possible and that this is not something that we should do. What he's saying is that in Corinth, there was a pagan custom of baptism for the dead. And Paul is saying, if there's no life after death, then why do others do it? He's saying, even the pagans have a sense of a resurrection from the dead. Why can't you? 
He's not condoning it. He's using a pagan culture example saying, even pagans get it. Why can't you get it? Okay? He's not condoning it. He goes on to say, and if the return of Jesus and the resurrection are not true, he says, and if they're not true, why do we stand in jeopardy every hour? Why put my life on the line and possibly die if this is it? I would want to avoid death so that I could live as long as possible. If there's no life after death, if there's no resurrection, then, then why am I putting my life, if, it's, if this is all there is, at risk? He says, I affirm by the boasting in you in, in which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. He says, I die daily. That means I, he escapes death daily and he dies to himself as a result of it daily. If in the manner of men, I fought with the beasts of Ephesus, that means I've been put in harm's way in city after city uh, and he's in Ephesus now. So he's like, I'm in a dangerous place now. I'm being tortured for my faith now. If there is not an eternity after this life, what am I doing here? What advantage of it is it to me? If the dead are not risen, let us eat, drink, for tomorrow we die. Man, if this is it, let's party. Right? YOLO, you only live once. Well, not in the scriptures, not if you're a Christian. You don't live once, you live forever. I live, you know, I want you to know this. He's, he is... I live a life, I seek to live a life that honors God because I believe he's coming back. And I believe that when I meet Jesus, I have a life to, to present to him. And, and I think maybe that's why some so-called Christians don't live a life that honors God because they don't truly believe that he's coming back. They don't truly, maybe in the deepest part of their life, believe that they will be held accountable for the life that they live for the name of Christ. Maybe you're not sold down deep. You see, what we think and believe about his return shapes our actions. How do we know? Well, the very next verse, a very popular verse, is actually about this. The very next verse, talking about the resurrection, he says, so don't be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. He says, awake, wake up to righteousness. Do not sin. For some do not have the knowledge of God. The knowledge of what? Of the resurrection. I speak this to your shame. He's saying this in regard to the resurrection. He's saying, listen. He says, they were starting to act and think like their pagan friends. And it was affecting not only their actions, but their beliefs. He says, wake up. Wake up. You're not only beginning to act like them, but you're also beginning to think like them and accepting false views of God, false views of the afterlife, false views of heaven, false views of morality, false views of death and sin. And he says, listen, don't be deceived. Who you hang around really does affect what you believe, which ultimately will affect the way you live. He says, wake up says, don't be swayed by what other people are saying about the resurrection. I want you to write this down. Christ's resurrection guarantees our resurrection. He says, you've got to hold this tightly. Wake up. This has got to be core because this will ultimately affect the way you live and how you pursue life. If you believe that this is the end well, then, yeah, you're going to live a YOLO life. You're going to live with everything you have to get as many tickets, to get as many prizes, to ride as many rides, and, and to achieve as many things on your bucket list if you think this is all there is and that's the attitude you're going to live in this life. Now, I, I want to live a life adventurous for Christ, and he's going to take me to as many experiences and, and adventure as you could ever imagine. If your life in Christ is boring, you're not living for Jesus, right? Because if you live for Jesus, it's most exciting and most adventurous, and he'll take you around the world and put you in places and, and let you do things you'd never imagine. But the resurrection guarantees our resurrection, and because I believe that, it changes the way I pursue life and how I live my life. So what he then says, he says, there's a resurrection in Jesus. There's a resurrection that will come uh, when Christ returns. Now he describes what that resurrection looks like. Let's take a look at this. He says, 1 Corinthians verse 35, he says, someone might ask, but someone will ask, how are the dead raised and what kind of body will they 
have when they, when, uh, when they come. Now, he says something pretty harsh here. He says, how foolish, which is basically saying, don't be stupid, you're a fool. Why would he say that? Because basically what they were asking is, is will I still have the body that I have now? Am I still going to be like, like if I'm sick and I have like, like, well, I mean, am I still going to have like this deformity or this sickness or this weakness? I mean, yeah, I'm going to be resurrected, but am I, is it going to be the same? And Paul says, don't be dumb. He says, how foolish. Raka, which is pretty harsh. He says, uh, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or something else. But God gives it a body as he has determined. And to each kind of seed, he gives its own body. Write this down. We're going to talk about a new body. Uh, our current body is like a seed for the new one. Now, I have some illustrations up here. I want, to, I want to show you some examples. I have in this bag, not that. That's not what I needed. I needed right here, this little thing right here. This is, maybe you can't see it, it's pretty slippery, so you won't be able to see it at all. But in my hand is a watermelon seed. Is this a watermelon? Is that a watermelon? No. If I say, hey, man, um, it's 4th of July this week, I'm bringing a watermelon. You don't show, the, you don't bring that up. Hey, where's the knife, y'all? <laughs> you know, be sure to put it in the fridge, right? This is, this is not a watermelon. This is a seed Right? I want to show you, show you a picture. Now, stay on this first picture. We're going to go through some of these seeds. Um, what do you think that yellow seed is? All right, that's, we kind of know what that is. Right? I'm going to show you that. This is, a, this, is, this is corn in here. All right, this has the potential to be a really big mess. All right, look at this. All right. All right, look at all that. This is so cool. There's the mess. I knew it was coming. All right. So this is not this, but this is this. You know what I'm saying? You know, when you, hey, well, I'm going to throw some corn on the grill. Uh, you're going to get a piece of popcorn. Pop, and it's still not that. Popcorn is still not this. This is a taste of things to come. This is a seed in this is the DNA, is the, is, the, is the pieces, is the parts, is everything necessary to become this. But this is not this. But yet this has this in it. You follow. Paul is saying, this is you. This is the resurrection. See, the resurrection is not just you without pimples and, and, and a little taller or, or without that cough or, you know, that weird toe of yours, right? This is not you looking like a model. This is you, all right? So when you're looking at that, at that seed, let me get that little watermelon seed. Okay, look at that second picture. What do you think that is? That's watermelon seeds, all right? <laughs> What's that bottom uh, left? What do you think that is? What, do you, what is it? Sunflowers. And what do you think that one is, that bottom right? All right, let's go to the next picture. You can see what they are, all right? It's, it's hot peppers. It's red peppers. Actually, it could be any pepper because that's how all those pepper seeds look like. Love habaneros. Now, you take a sunflower seed, it, it doesn't even look even remotely like a sunflower. Not even remotely. Not even a little bit at all. But in that seed is everything needed to become that sunflower. In this seed is everything needed to become corn. And in that seed is everything needed to become this watermelon. Everything. And if I were to cut this open, be beautiful, red, wouldn't even look anything like the seed, but you would see glimpses of that seed inside of the watermelon through other seeds. Paul is saying, listen, the body, the new body is not just an improved you, it's a new body. In Christ, you have been given everything inside of you that identifies you as that new creation, but it's not here yet, but it's coming. But it's coming. He says, listen, life 
is like this seed that you have. And, and what you have coming is way, way more exciting than you ever imagined. You know, when I'm hanging out with somebody and I say, hey, man, throw me an orange. They don't like throw a bunch of orange seeds at me. They throw me an orange. We would never say that that seed is an orange. Paul says, don't say that your body is your new body, though it has in it everything after you give your life to Christ to ensure that it will be a new body. He goes on to say, verse 39, not all flesh is the same. There's different kinds of bodies. He says, people have one kind of flesh, animals have another, birds have another, and fish another. There's also heavenly bodies or celestial bodies and earthly bodies, two different kinds of bodies even among us. He says, but the splendor of the heavenly body is one kind, and the splendor of the earthly body is another. The sun has one kind of splendor, the moon and the stars have another, and the stars differ from star in splendor from star to star. So will it be at the resurrection of the dead. Each body has a design suited for its purpose. So will it be with your new body. Write this down about the new body. Our new body will be made for heaven. It will be made for heaven. That means the new body that you're going to have is going to be made and designed for the purpose of the kingdom of God. So it's going to be a new type of body. It's going to be a glorified celestial body. A new type of body. By the way, people don't become angels. Angels are a completely different thing. When you die, you don't become an angel. That is not biblical. When you die, you become a new you in Christ. You get resurrected and you get a new body, but you're still you and you're still a person and you're still a human with a glorified body. You're not an angel. Angels are created separately from humans with a separate purpose and design. You're not an angel no matter what he says to you. <laughs> but you might be very lovely. You might be glorified. <laughs> You're not going to be just repaired. You're going to be a new celestial body. We will get a body designed for heaven, suited for the next life, not this world. It will be different. It will be superior. It will be similar, but different. Remade with heaven in mind with new and different abilities. He goes on to say, verse 42, the body that is sown is perishable. That means this body is gonna rot and die and turn into a nasty, stinky corpse, but it is raised imperishable. It will not do that. It will not be like that. It is sown in dishonor and it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown in a natural body and is raised a spiritual body. If there's a natural body, there's also a spiritual body. This body is a shell like this little kernel of corn. It's just a piece, a glimpse. You're going to plant this in the ground and over time it's going to become these. Right? So a seed cannot turn into these unless it dies. Unless it is broken and buried. And then it comes out of the ground like corn. All right? That's what he's saying. He says, you are going to have a same similar experience. I want you to write this down. We're going to have upgrades. We're going to have new body upgrades. And the first upgrade is that there's going to be no more sickness. No more sickness. I love this. I hate being sick. Anybody ever love being sick? That's a mental disorder. There are people that like that. We can talk about it afterwards if you need some encouragement and a counselor. We don't want to be sick. Here's some of the, he gives us four things, imperishable, um, uh, glory, power, and spiritual body. Let's look at what those are. These are some of the upgrades that he says in this verse. Imperishable, that means we decay, uh, decease, uh, uh, sorry, decay, diseased, diseased, we die, we rot, and we turn into nasty, uh, maggot-eaten kind of flesh. If you've ever left meat in a, in a, uh, in a, in a, trash can and it starts to smell really bad. Have you ever had done that by accident or put meat in your trash can outside and you open it up to throw trash in and there's maggots all over it. You ever seen that? The flies land on it and then they, they, they anyhow, you know how it goes. <laughs> it's pretty nasty. It's gross. He says, that's you. That's all of us. That happens to every one of us, every, all flesh, but you're raised in eternal body, imperishable. You'll never go bad. You'll, there's never an expiration date on us. 
Remember, you buy perishables and imperishables. Perishables, they die. So you're, you're born a perishable. <laughs> you have an expiration date, but you're going to be risen imperishable. And then glorious. That means in this life, you're dull. And you're, you're just kind of, uh, you're just you, but we're risen supernaturally glorious, radiant, re- reflecting God's glory in our life and in our body and in our, uh, you know, similar to that would be like when Moses was spending time with God, he radiated. There was just something about him. He was with God. He says, that's going to be you. And he says, powerful. I mean, right now we're sick, we're weak, uh, we get worn down. Uh, we can't, we can't, you know, strong as you are, some of you, you're still gonna get tired, you're still gonna get sore, you're still gonna get weak, you're gonna get the flu, you're you're fragile, you know, you you know, a knife will cut your fingers off <laughs> still, no matter how strong you think you are or how invincible you are, uh, you can still have the fragility of life and the human flesh is still penetrable, but when you are risen, you will be powerful. You'll be impenetrable. You'll be forever healthy. And he says in the last one, he says, you're, you're sown, you go in a natural body, but you come out a spiritual body. What that, that does not mean you go in uh, flesh and blood and come out a ghost. When Jesus rose from the dead, you know what he told his disciples? He said, here, touch me. A ghost is not flesh and blood. It's not flesh. Jesus rose from the dead in a body that was touchable. And he says, you know, when we're risen from the dead, we're not going to be a spirit. We're going to be spiritual in our body. A spiritual body designed and crafted with a new purpose. You see, our resurrection is not just a resurrected corpse. It's a new order of life and a body that will never die again. It's a, it's a serious upgrade. It's body 2.0. He goes on to say, so it is written, the first man, Adam, made uh, became a living being, and, and the last Adam, a life-giving spirit. So the first Adam is Jesus. Jesus is called the second Adam here. Uh, Paul uses that in Romans 5 also. He goes, the spiritual did not come first, but the natural and after the spiritual, then after that, the spiritual. The first man was of the dust of the earth. The second man is of heaven. Team Adam or team Jesus? I'm part of team Jesus. Team Adam is, is flesh and blood, perishable. Team Jesus, flesh, but spiritual, you know, imperishable. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. We will die and we'll go back to the dust. But as is the heavenly man, so are also those who are of heaven. Our new body, born again. And just as we have been born in the image of the earthly man, so shall we bear the image of the heavenly man. Jesus Christ, write this down, a new body, an upgrade means that we will have a body like Jesus He's called the first fruits. That means the first example. You want to know what your life is going to be like when you come back to life, when Jesus resurrects you? Look to the life and the body of Jesus. That's going to be you. That's going to be your body. How was Jesus? Well, Luke 24, John 20, Matthew 28 describe a Jesus that is flesh. All right? He's, he's not a spirit. He's not a ghost. He's flesh. He's glorified, he's shining, he's radiant, and he's able to eat. He sits down and has a meal. He relaxes, he reclines, he talks, and he hugs, and he relates, and they know him as Jesus. He's not so new that they don't know who he is. He's known as himself, and he is able to move beyond time and space. He's literally able to teleport himself from two disciples on the road to Emmaus to boom, right into the middle of a room with his disciples. He's able to uh, go through walls and he's able to, walls are irrelevant. Time and space is irrelevant. His resurrected body is a preview of first fruit of our resurrected body. What an upgrade. We're not just a resurrected corpse. We're going to be like Jesus. I love this. What, what good news is this? Everyone you've ever loved in Christ, you'll be able to hug again. You'll be able to have a meal again. You'll be able to sit with and talk with again. And as sure as they who knew Jesus was, you're going to know who they are. This is good news. This is beautiful news. 
beautiful assurance we have in Christ. I get to see my mom and hug her and talk and maybe she'll fix me some chicken fried steak. She made some good chicken fried steak. Northern comfort food is good. We're from the north. 1 Corinthians 15, 50 says, I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood, our present bodies, cannot enter the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. How do we attain this new body? I'll get to that in a minute. He goes on, verse 51. Listen, I tell you a mystery. He's going to tell you something that you can only get by the Holy Spirit. This is a mystery. We will not all sleep. That means there will be a final generation. For the last 2,000 years, people have died and died and died. Every gen- There's going to be a last generation. He says, I got a secret for you. There's going to be a generation that will not die, but will see it. Wow. He goes, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. That's the return of Christ. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed instantly faster than Thanos can snap his fingers. You get a new body. Avenger people know what I'm talking about. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. So what happens until that day? What happens until the last generation? Because for 2,000 years, people have been dying and getting buried. What happens until then? Well, the apostle Paul tells us in uh, 2 Corinthians and in other letters that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord if you are a believer. If you're a believer, then when you die... I believe that you go to be with Jesus. Now, there are people that believe that your soul goes to sleep and it's as instantaneous as if you were to take a nap. You go to sleep and wake up and it's the end of the world. Um, There's verses that suggest that that's a possibility, but I go with what Paul says, that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So when we die, we go to heaven as a spirit. However, we're not designed to stay a spirit. We're designed to have a body. So when Jesus comes back, our spirit becomes a body again, like Jesus had. Jesus didn't rise from the dead as a ghost. He had a body. And that day comes when we will get that body again. So until then, there is a, you're, you're in Christ's loved ones, I believe, are in heaven awaiting the resurrection for their new body. But if you're not a believer, the Bible says, uh, says throughout Revelation 20, Luke 16, that if you're not a believer, you go to a place called Sheol, a place of the dead, a place of torment and punishment awaiting yes, a resurrection where you'll not be given a new body, but you will be cast at that time, the Bible says, into the lake of fire. Jesus says this in Matthew 25. He says, and these will go away into eternal punishment. This is the unrighteous, but the righteous into eternal life. In Philippians 3.19, Paul says, he says, their destiny uh, is destruction. Their God is their stomach and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await the Savior from there, the Lord Jesus, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. So until then, we await. An unbeliever for that resurrection, an unbeliever, you'll be awaiting in a place of torment for a second judgment. The Bible says not everyone goes to heaven. Jesus said, only if you're born again can you ever see the kingdom of heaven. He goes on to say in verse 54, we're going to wrap this up. He says this, when the imperishable has been clothed with the imperishable, that's our resurrection, and the mortal with with immortality, when we get our new body, then the saying, I love this, at that time, then the saying that is written will come true. Death at that time will be swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? Guaranteed victory. That victory is complete at our resurrection. That's when the victory is complete. Write this down, a new body, the upgrades, means no more heartbreak. The sting of death, the heartache of the loss of someone you love, a slow decline of health, 
Few things are more painful than the sting of death. And at the resurrection, sting, where's your, where's your pain? You're gone. Where's your triumph? Death, you're a loser. Where's your pain? But listen, until then, death still stings, doesn't it? Sickness still stings. Death is still painful and it still hurts. But there will come a day when there'll be no more heartbreak. He goes on to say, the sting of death is sin. I want you to imagine a snake that just keeps biting you. And every time I bite you, it just stings. Ah, ah, ah. And it just stings and it swells. And that stings. And then, ah, and then it stings. He says, that is what sin is like. It's just like a snake that keeps biting you. It just stings. And he says, man, the sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law. That's because the law reminds us that we have a sin problem. He says, but thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Write this down. This is another upgrade, an upgrade that there'll be no more sin. The sting of death, the sting of sin, the sting of regret. When Jesus returns, we get a new body that will be free from sin. Guaranteed victory over sin. When Jesus returns, sin will no longer have a grip around my neck. But until that day, I still sin. And I still make mistakes. Sometimes I feel like the devil's hand is around my neck just squeezing. I'm like, devil, you have no power over me. You have no power over me. He gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And though you might cause me to stumble today, there is victory over you when Christ returns once and for all. And you will have no sting. You will have no burn. You'll have no power over me. But until then, I fight on. See, we have something to look forward to and celebrate now. Thank you, Jesus, that the hold of sin won't be on our lives forever. So what do we do with this? Paul closes with a verse that tells us what to do. And this is what I want to close with is this. He gives us one verse that tells us two things to do. He says, so what do we do with this? Therefore, that means in light of the return of Christ and our future eternity. Therefore, in light of all this, listen, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you and always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Two things that Paul says. Number one, don't stop believing. Don't stop believing. One of the greatest songs ever written, right? He says, stand firm. That means steadfast, unwavering. Plant your feet in this. What's the, this? The gospel that he said in verse one. Plant your feet in this. Jesus, according to scriptures, lived, died, was buried, rose again, and plant your feet because he's coming back. Be unmovable. Don't stop believing. Be unwavering. Stand firm. When life stings, when you lose someone you love, when life gets hard, when it feels like everything is coming at you, plant your feet because he's coming back one day. And until then, be unwavering. Don't stop believing. And then I love this next part. He says that we have a hope, not wishful thinking, but a supernatural assurance of what is to come. This is a mystery that only God can reveal. And then he says this, not only do you don't stop believing, but don't stop working. And I got a song for that too. Everybody's working for the kingdom. do 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 in the original, it's weekend. So I don't know if you, I don't know anybody, who knows that song? Yeah, it would have been weekend, but we're changed to the kingdom. Everybody's working for the kingdom. It's by Lover Boy. Anyhow, he says this always, in light of this, always give yourselves fully to the work of God, the work of the kingdom, Jesus' kingdom business. In light of what you know, give everything you have. Not a piece, not a part. You, you give yourselves fully to the work of God, not just to God. See, somebody says, man, I've given my life to God. Well, Jesus wants you to fully give your work to God. 
Everything about you, all of your life, the reason that you live, why you go to college, why you pursue a career, why you get up in the morning, why you punch that clock, why you show up, why you keep driving that car, why you keep making payments, it's fully for the kingdom. It's for Jesus' business. In light of what you know, give yourself fully to the work of God. Because you know, oh, this is good, that you labor in the Lord. See, the things that you do for God are not in vain. The kingdom is the only truly thing in this life worthy of giving everything to. This life is a job interview for the rest of eternity. He says, your labor is not in vain. That time with your child, training them in the ways of the Lord, sharing with your friend, being Christ to someone who needs you, reaching out to a neighbor and loving on them in the name of Christ, volunteering in kid venture, driving a teen to youth group. When you labor for the Lord, it's not in vain. It's not in vain. See, Paul a moment ago said that this life is like a farmer planting corn. I want you to think about this. Imagine the travail that a farmer has. I mean, anybody here ever, like, maybe you're not in a farming culture, but being a farmer is hard work. And it's particularly old, starring agricultural communities like in the Bible, farming was very hard. And Paul says, I want you to imagine that farmer travailing the cold, hard ground, laboring, sweating, toiling, beating the earth just to drop one kernel into the ground. Why does he continue to work so hard? Because he sees the promise of the harvest. Paul says, he labors in joy and hope for what is to come. So Paul says, listen, plant those seeds. Stand firm. You beat that ground if you have to. You toil, you sweat, you labor. But there's a hope of a harvest, which is the return of Christ and our resurrection to look forward to. So we labor not in vain. Verse 50, he says, I declare to you that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. How does one inherit the kingdom of God? Well, Jesus says you must be born again. I'm going to pray for you right now. Let's pray. God, thank you so much, Father, for new life that we can have through you. God, if there's anyone here that doesn't know you as their Savior, as their Lord, God, I pray that they would uh, take just a moment, God, right now to acknowledge your glory, to acknowledge your kingship, your authority. Just take a moment. And he is king. Will you acknowledge him now as king and say, Jesus, you are king. Be king of my life. Be Lord of my life. God, I believe that you lived, that you died for my sins, that you rose again from the dead. I bow to you as king. I give my life to you. I will follow you. Go ahead and tell them in your own words. Thank you, Jesus. That seed has been planted. And a harvest is coming in my life. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Living Way Church podcast. If you enjoyed this message, we hope you come visit us in Garland, Texas. For directions and more information about the church, go to www.livingwaychurch.cc.